It is so great to be with you this morning. We hope that you're having an incredible worship experience. If we haven't met before, my name is Pastor Nick Newman, and I want to say welcome. We consider it an honor and a privilege for you to be with us this morning if it is your first time. Church, can you help me welcome every first-time guest with us today? Come on, we're excited that you're here, and if you are with us for the first time, we'd love for you to take that Connect card you received, drop it off at the Welcome Center on your way out, exchange that for a gift as our way of saying thanks for being with us today. I want to let you know one thing before we dive into today's message, and that is next weekend we are kicking off a brand new series called Giving Up on Christmas. Now, for some of you, this is what you look like during the holiday season, and, uh, but here's what we want you to know. There's a way to get through the holidays God's way. And so we're going to go over next week how to give up on hopelessness during the holidays. And so I would love for you to join me next weekend. And during the Christmas season, we kind of elevate what we do on Sunday mornings. And so next Sunday, uh, there's going to be a hot chocolate bar with some Christmas cookies. And then on December 8th, we're going to have free photos with Santa if you want to get some pictures there. So Christmas is going to be incredible. Uh, We're super excited. But today, we are ending the message series that we've been in called Lost and Found. It's a study of Luke chapter 15, and we've gone through each one of the the three parables that were told in Luke chapter 15. Jesus told three stories, the first being the story of the lost sheep. Now, the whole reason why he told these stories, these parables, was because what he wanted to do was really communicate his heart for people. God was trying to reveal who he was to this group of religious leaders who were kind of looking at Jesus funny for sitting with people who were considered to be notorious sinners. So God shows us in the lost sheep story who Jesus really is. It's all about God. The God so here's what you need to know. God exists in three parts. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So in the first section, in the lost sheep, we see the Son. We see Jesus come as the Savior of the world who would go after lost sheep, carrying them back on his shoulders into the family. Then in the next parable, we talked about the lost coin. And the lost coin in Luke chapter 15 reveals the Spirit to us because the Spirit, Paul says, is what gives light, gives your heart eyes. It's God illuminating it. And now we get to the last part of the story. It's the longest section of all. And the whole goal, normally what we talk about, is the prodigal son. You've heard that term before. It's the story of the lost son. But really, God's goal is not that we focus so much on the son, but that we see the father. So what Jesus is doing, it's not a coincidence that he gives us three parables. He's trying to say, hey, I want to show you who I am as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if you can understand those three things, you're going to really understand who I am. And if you can understand who I am, I'm telling you, if you understand who God is, there's no way you don't want a relationship with him. Because when you understand just how good he is, how loving he is, how gracious he is, he pulls you and I in for the purpose of relationship. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15 today. Um, I will tell you, I'm going to read a lot of scripture because Luke chapter 15, it goes all the way from verse 11 to verse 32, but I'm going to break it up for us so that it doesn't feel like I'm reading for a long time. If you're with me, say I'm with you. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11, says, Jesus continued. See, I was going to read a whole lot more, but the reason why it says Jesus continued is because he's been telling two other parables. If you haven't been with us, you can jump in uh, to our YouTube channel to check out those previous messages. It says, there was a man who had two sons. 
The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Other translations say my share of the inheritance. So he divided his properties between them. Not long after that, the young son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Could you imagine for a moment the Thanksgiving dinner where this conversation took place? Right, everybody's sitting around the table. The meal is going pretty well. Mom has baked something incredible, and the son sits across from the table, disgruntled from a long day's worth of work, and he looks at his dad, and this is essentially what he says, hey, dad, I know you're not dead yet, but can I have my share of the money? Because normally inheritance comes post-death. But this son's been fed up. What this son does is he feels like he can, if he gets his inheritance, he can take that money and he can do something different with it. He can do something better. He thinks that his way is the right way. So what he does is he leaves the father's house in order to pursue what he thinks is best. Now the lost sheep story, I believe, reveals to us God's heart for the world. Because what God wants us to know is there are a lot of lost people in the world who desperately need Jesus. But the second part of the story takes us to the lost coin. And we talked about last week that there are people who are lost, but they're in the house. Those are people who are in the house, but they don't know God. And the reason why you don't know God is because the Holy Spirit hasn't been illuminated to you yet. But... This third story, we normally talk about lost people. I think there's a whole lot of people who started out in the father's house, but then thought their way was better, so they took their share of the inheritance and left. So I want to talk to those of us today who have been a part of the family of God, but who have thought our way was better, so we walked away from faith. So it says that he got all his money, and he went out, and he was the life of the party. Everybody loved him. Drinks were on him at every place he went to. But all of a sudden, it says this in verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. It's interesting that when you're doing well, there are so many people around, but the moment you actually need help, no one's to be found. See, he was there for so many people. When he had money, he would do whatever it took to keep friends and to pay for people's stuff and their meals, and then a famine comes through, and now he's got nothing left. He's going and knocking on those doors. Hey, remember that time and that favor that I did for you there? I, I scratched your back. Can, we, can you help a brother out? Ain't, I need some money. Nobody's around. And so when you don't have any M-O-N-E-Y, you need to get you a J-O-B. This is what it says in verse 15. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So he's looking at this pig trough, and he's thinking, I have barely any money, I'm working, I can't pay my bills, can't pay rent. This pig trough filled with food looks like a great meal. That's called rock bottom. Like when you're looking at the pig trough and you're looking at the, like the crud and the mess and the muck, because we know pigs eat anything. He's going, man, that slop looks really good right now. He's starving. And then this is what he says. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death. Verse 18, I will set out and go back to my father and say, father, 
I've sinned against both you and heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. It's interesting that I think one of the tactics of the enemy is this first point, which is this sin distorts our view of the father. So we've talked about the story. Here's the context. A son comes to his father before he deserves his inheritance because the inheritance is given after the father passes on. So what the father does is he goes into the safe, he goes into the bank account, he takes out the money, he takes his share of the inheritance, and he gives his son what he doesn't deserve in a time that he doesn't deserve it. That son then goes off and he squanders everything. And as he's eating from the pig trough, he thinks, man, I remember what dad's house was like. You ever sat back and thought about the good old days? Like, I don't know about, I had a rough background growing up. So like, like if, if I look back, there, there weren't a whole lot of good old days. But I can look back to like the beginning of my faith. When I first started following Jesus and I thought everything was easy. Come on, some of y'all are like, you bought into that lie too. Like you started following Jesus and it was like, this is a mountaintop. And he can do it again, but he's only done it like five minutes ago. But I know he can do it again. And it's incredible and it's amazing. And then, and then you, you phase out of what's called the Christian honeymoon phase. And like something happens. Where like six months into the journey, you used to sit down and you could open God's word every day and it was easy and everything leapt off the page. And now when you open it, you wake up 45 minutes later with drool in your Bible. How'd it happen? You ever thought back about what it was like when you were really connected? I was talking with somebody the other week who was serving at Propel and then then they like life got a little rough so they walked away from it, and then they, they were like, you know, there's just something in my life that's missing. They were, they were reminiscing about what it looked like to be a part of dad's house. And that's the position this son is in. But he's not just thinking about dad's house. He communicates his view of his father. Because what he feels like is that he can only go back, not as a son, but as a servant, Meaning that his father won't accept him back into the family. He'll just hire him as a worker when he's currently working for somebody else. Because sin distorted his view of the father. The only thing we know about the context of this story is that this son had a father who gives him what he does not deserve. And I think Satan's goal for you and I when we're in the middle of our sin, when we're feasting from the pig trough of our lives, is to distort our view of how God will accept us if we choose to come back to him. So this is what it looks like. You can go back to the story, Genesis chapter 3, when Eve's in the garden. The enemy comes in, the serpent sneaks in there, and he says, well, did God really say? And she says, well, he didn't really say I couldn't eat from every tree in the garden. He just said I couldn't eat from this one tree. And as she looks at that one tree... He says, oh, you know why? Because God's withholding something from you. He knows that if you eat from that tree, you'll become like him. And in that moment, her view of God shifted. She began to think that God was not a God of abundance, but God was a God of withholding. And she took from the fruit and she ate it. 
Satan's goal is to make you and I have a distorted view of what our relationship with God the Father looks like. And parents, this is why dads, your responsibility as men of God is so incredible because everything you do with your children communicates the heart of God to them. So some of us are dealing with those father wounds. I think everybody has daddy issues. I, don't, I, don't, I think like you can have the best parents in the world and you still have father wounds because the enemy's crafty. What Satan wants to do is distort our view of God. But what we know about God is that he gives us what we don't deserve. We don't deserve to be a part of the family in the first place, but God would send Jesus to die in our place so that we could be brought in. I also think it's interesting that the son, this is how distorted his view is. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. That's verse 19. No longer worthy to be a son? At what point have your kids ever been worthy to be your kids? Like imagine the scenario for a moment. You're sitting down for breakfast with your children, eating some cereal, and all of a sudden they look at you and they say, Mom, Dad, I now feel worthy to be your son. You'd be like, shut up and eat your cereal. (laughs) Because we know that worth in a family is not earned. Why are you a part of the family? Not by worth, it's by birth. And that's why Jesus tells us in John chapter 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus that you must be born of both water. You need to have a physical birth, but you also need to be born by the Spirit, which means there needs to be a rebirth that takes place in your life. And when you and I say yes to Jesus, we are brought into the family of God. We are bought into the family of God by Christ's payment for us. And we're not sons and daughters because we earned it or worked for it or strived for it. We are sons and daughters because God declared us worthy because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. He says, I'm not worthy to be your son. Sin had distorted his view of God. Sin had distorted his view of the Father, and if you're here today and you feel like because of your mistakes, because of the things that you've done in your life, that God will only take you back as a worker, it's not the heart of God. God desires to redeem us and restore us into the family. So the son has prepared this speech. It says this that so he got up and he went to his father. Verse now, this is incredible because he's realized he's, he's going through this speech. He says he's no longer worthy to be called a son. And as he's going through this conversation, this is a walk, right? Dude didn't call Uber. It wasn't a 20-minute drive, okay? He's walking. And if you've ever had to have a hard conversation and you had a journey that came before that hard conversation, you know you've rehearsed in your head what it's going to look like when you get there. So he's had the conversation. Okay, so I'm going to walk up, and as I get to the front door, I'm going to knock on the front door, and I'm going to say, Dad, look, I've, um, I've sinned against you in heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Take me as your hired servant. Okay, but, but what if he's, like, in the yard? So I can't do the door thing if he's, like, in the yard. So maybe I'll, like, sneak around the house and, like, tap him on the shoulder. Surprise. Maybe that's going to be the thing that get. maybe maybe he'll just be so excited to see me, he'll forget that he's mad, and he'll still hire me as a servant. I think, so he's rehearsing this whole time. And this is what Scripture says. So he got up, and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion, him, He ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. 
Now, culturally, as Jesus was telling this story, everybody would have looked at him like he was crazy because running showed a sense of urgency that men in this culture didn't have at all. Like, what do you mean he ran to him? Yeah, that's exactly what God does for us. And in order for God, this father, to see his son from a long distance off, he had to be waiting for his return at every moment. What you need to know about God's heart is that when someone walks away from the family, he's not just moving on without you. He's eagerly waiting for you to come home. He's standing, looking, watching, and waiting for your return because that's exactly what repentance is. Now, we talk a lot about repentance in the local church that we need to repent, and to repent is to shift. It's a shift in direction. But I think if you're just turning from sin, you're missing the purpose of repentance. Repentance is not turning from sin, it's returning to the Father. Because if you just turn from sin, you'll always be stuck trying to not sin anymore. What you need to do is turn from your sin and run to Dad's house. What you need to do is turn from your sin and run into the arms of your loving Heavenly Father because what He wants to do is to show you grace, love, and mercy. The son has prepared a great speech. He's been ready to deliver it this entire time. And what the father isn't saying is, hey, what you should do is work for me for a few years. The father doesn't even listen to his speech at all. He might have written it out and had a piece of paper. The father runs as fast as he can to his son, and he hugs him, he embraces him, and he kisses him to say, man, I love you and I'm for you. That's exactly God's heart for you. No matter how many times you've messed up, no matter how many times you've failed and sinned and and fallen short, God's not waiting for you to come back so that he can scold you for everything you did wrong. He's just a loving Heavenly Father who's so pumped you're home. That's the heart of God. Luke chapter 15, the son begins to talk. Verse 21 says this, that, The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against you, heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, hey, quick, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. The second thing that I had for you this morning, I think I just skipped it, is God is eagerly waiting for our return. I mean, that's what God wants. God wants for you and I. To come home. Third thing is this God restores us to our rightful position in His house. So, in order to understand, so sometimes we read it and we go, okay, cool. Dude got a pinky ring, he got a robe, and some, you know, rainbows. All right, dope. Let's move on. That's not what it is. There's relevance to it. See, so he puts a robe on him. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, one of the things you'll see is after Adam and Eve sinned, God slaughtered an animal to cover them. A robe is for covering. What a robe also communicated is it was the way that the father told his son, as well as everybody else, that he had a position as a son in the house. It was an immediate demonstration of complete approval, love, and mercy, as well as protection. What he communicated is the son had all the benefits of being a son not a servant. He places a ring on his finger, and a ring is a symbol of a position of authority. 
The ring placed on the hand of the prodigal son is evidence of the affection of the father towards him. What it announced once again was the transfer of the inheritance that was going to happen in the beginning is going to him. He is a son, not a servant. And then he gets to the shoes when the father ordered the shoes to be brought out to him and put on the prodigal son's feet. What he said for the third and final time is that the prodigal would not be treated as a servant but as a son because servants didn't wear shoes and sons did. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three, how many times on the shore does Jesus ask Peter, do you love me? How many items of clothing does the father put on to the son? Three, it's all tied together. What God is showing him and what he's making sure we understand is you're not a servant, you're a son. You're not a servant, you're a son. You're not a servant, you're a son or you're a daughter in the family of God. God's desire for you and for me is not that we would come back into the family as workers, but that we would come back as sons and daughters of his house. He's restoring us into our rightful place. I love that as the son is going through his speech, the father's just like, hey, quick, man, bring out the best robe. Put it on him. Do it. Let's Let's show everybody that, yeah, he's walked away and he's failed, but God restores us every single time. And the application for you and I is that you and I have sinned, we've done wrong, and yet God gives you complete love, places you in a position of authority, and installs us into his house as sons and daughters. It's not what we deserve. And when you see how the father responds to the son... You can't help but see how sin had distorted his perspective the entire time. Because I'm telling you, we've got churches filled with people and the world is filled with people whose view of God is different than what Scripture shows us God is. So verse 23 of this passage says, so this is what the Father does next. He brings the fatted, he said, bring the fatted calf and let's kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost but is now found. So they began to celebrate. Did you notice that God didn't put the son through a 12-step program? He didn't bring the son back into the family and say, Hey, so look, a little probation period for you. Here's what we're going to do. Or put you in for three months. Minimal responsibilities as a son. Make sure you can handle it. And then, if we know you're not going to leave again, we'll, 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 no, no, no. The father restores the son, throws a party, and celebrates, not knowing if the son would ever choose to walk away again. That's the heart of God. And he doesn't wait a long period of time. He's like, the son's giving his speech. They're doing the hug. He puts the robe and the ring and the sandals, and he's like, let's party. That's the heart of God. Number four for you this morning is the heart of the Father is celebratory, not critical. What the Father doesn't do is look at his son and go, hey man, what'd you do with my money? Like, hey, so there were rumors about what you were doing while you were gone, and like, like, I don't approve of that. The Father doesn't even address that stuff. He restores him into the rightful place and he throws a party because God's heart is for that which is lost to become found. However, not everybody carries the heart of the Father. 
So look at what it says in this next passage. Continuing on in verse 28. It says, The older brother became angry, and he refused to go in. So what had happened is the brother's coming in from a long day in the field, and he walks up. We skipped a couple of verses. The brother walks up, and he hears there's music going on. Like there's a fatted calf being killed, dad threw a luau, and everybody's trying to figure out what in the world is taking place. Now the people know, but the brother doesn't. So the brother asks one of the servants, hey, what's going on? And they say, hey, you, you, can you believe it? Your brother that was lost is now found. It's incredible. And it says that the older brother became angry, and he's like, I ain't, I ain't going to party. I ain't, I ain't doing it. So here's what the father did. See, because every time you and I get mad at God, it's easy. Isn't it easy to get mad at God's grace towards other people and forget what he did for us? So go back and read the story of Jonah. It's Jonah's story. Jonah hears from God, go and tell Nineveh to repent and I'll save them. That's the game plan. Jonah goes, I ain't going to do it. He runs away. God arranges, it's so beautiful. You can see this, this beautiful blend between predestination and free will because Jonah exerts his free will by jumping off of the boat into the ocean and what Jonah deserves is to die. You can read chapter two because it says that there was seaweed wrapped around his neck. Jonah deserves to die. Sometimes we think Jonah's like floating on the top and then the fish came. Not how it happened. Jonah is at his last breath and God's saving grace came through the form of a fish. I wouldn't think that's what grace looked like, but grace sometimes comes in mysterious packages. So Jonah gets swallowed by a fish. It's in the belly of the whale that he's preserved. He repents. He spit back out onto the shore, goes to Nineveh, preaches. They repent. God saves them. And then chapter 4 of Jonah, Jonah sits under a tree, and he goes, God, I'm so mad I knew you were going to save him. Like he did you? Like he did me? I mean, how often do we look at God's grace towards other people and get frustrated about where they are and forget that that same saving grace is actually what rescued us in the first place? So the other brother gets angry. And even when you get angry and mess up and you're a part of the family, it says that the father went out and pleaded with him. God still comes to you even if you're part of the family. So he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice, he doesn't even identify with him as part of the family anymore. It's his brother. He doesn't say, so when my brother came home, he says, this son of yours, because emotionally he's become disconnected. He said he's squandered your property with prostitutes, and he comes in. You kill a fatted calf for him. This son was stuck in comparison. Can I tell you there's no metric scale for forgiveness and grace? It's equal playing field. God's grace towards you and towards another person equals 100% every time. It may look differently and may function differently in the life of somebody else. But he's stuck in comparison. Oh, Dad, you only gave me a goat, and I've been serving you, but you gave him a, you gave him a calf. 
God, they've only been saved for a couple months and you gave them a platform and I've been trying for years to get that. But then the father looks at him and here's, here's the thing. Here's why the, son, the other brother didn't get entrusted with it because he, he was a part of the family but he didn't carry the heart of the father. And God can't entrust you with a bigger platform if you don't carry his heart. This is what it says. He says, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything you ha- I have is yours. But when we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, reminder, he's a part of the family, was dead and is alive again. He was lost but is now found. See, what God does for you and I is God doesn't hold our past sins against us. But sometimes as followers of Jesus, we hold other people's past sins against them. That's what the brother did. Brother said, yeah, he's back, but do you remember what he did? Remember how much he messed up? And God says, no, 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 I don't. <laughs> look, look, Jesus covered that. Here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the fact that he was lost, but he's now found. And we may feel like that's not fair. Because the truth is, you and I fall in one or two categories. There's three positions that we have in this story. You're either like the son, and you've run away. You thought your way of living was better. You thought your way of doing things was better. You're looking back, and you're kind of thinking, man, I've heard that dad's house is better. I've heard that God, in a relationship with him, changes things. There's things you have access to that you don't have access to on your own and you've run away from faith and the father's right there waiting for you on the front porch ready for you to come home there's others of you who are like the brother and when you look at your relationship with God and when you look at the relationship you have with other followers of Jesus you feel consistently passed over and you're frustrated about what God does in somebody else's life and today The opportunity is to jump into the third category, which is to be the person who carries the heart of the Father. That's God's goal. His goal of showing you and I this passage of Scripture to walk us through Luke 15 is to communicate His heart to us. Not so that we would just know Him, but so that we could carry Him to the rest of the world. Because God's mission plan for his word and purpose to be spread throughout the world has been people from day one. That's why he created Adam and Eve, to fulfill his mission and purpose through the entire world. It didn't change because of sin. And now as you and I understand the heart of God, which is to, to a God who meets us where we are, a God who pursues us even when we mess up, a God who is coming after us consistently, a God who isn't just a first chance, second chance, third chance God. God is an infinite chance God because he loves you and died for you. When you understand the heart of God, you then have the opportunity to extend it to the world. Man, I'm tired of living my life only giving people two or three chances before I cut them off. It's not the heart of God. Yeah, but what if they hurt me? They killed Jesus. Jesus said, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be hurt. And every time you and I let wounds put walls up to keep people out, we're not invoking the heart of God in our life. Because Jesus washes the feet of Judas knowing Judas would betray him. 
You can't guard yourself from being hurt. You need to love like Jesus does, which is unending. Yeah, but what if they mess up again? They're probably going to. That's life. God's grace doesn't change for you when you mess up. So today, maybe you're here and you've walked away. You're like the son who left the father's house. And there's an opportunity for you to come home. And you can have your speech prepared. You can be ready to tell God all the things that you've done wrong. Here's what he really wants you to know. He's excited you're home. And he's waiting for you. He's ready to run after you. The only thing you have to do is make the first step to come back to him. And then he meets you right where you are. So with every head bowed, every eye closed in this room for a moment, I believe there are some people in here who you're like the son who walked away. And you need to come back. You need to come back to the Father today. There's no better time. And what, if God, what, if, what if God knows what? No, he already knows what you did wrong. And he's still excited you're coming home. So if you'd say, hey, that's me. You're here and you say, I, I've walked away, but I want to come back. I want to return to the Father so that I can be restored into his family. Would you just lift your hand for a moment? I see this. I see this. Here's what we're going to do, church. No one prays alone. We're all going to pray together. Will you say this out loud with me? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen.